Good afternoon, everyone. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus, who is the very wisdom of God, warns us that money is not just a tool that we use. Money is not just the notes in our pocket or the numbers on a screen or the strange magic power in our phones. No, money is something that can have power over us. Money is a potential ruler or master of our lives. Money is an alternative God. You cannot serve both God and money. And when we look at this section of Luke's gospel as a whole, Jesus makes clear that there are actually only two options. We can serve God by using our money to serve others and so be welcomed into eternal dwellings, into an eternity with God. Or we will end up serving money and facing an eternity cut off from God. Those are your options. But maybe, maybe you hear that and you think, hang on a minute, when you talk about serving money, like that would require me to actually have some money or at least some disposable income. Like, I've, got, I've not got very much money. How could I serve money? Well, let me just say to you um, that the people Jesus are addressing here um, do not have running water. They do not have electricity. Every single person in this room is vastly richer than everyone Jesus is addressing is in original context. So if he thinks it's a danger for them to serve money, are we sure that it's not a danger for us? Or maybe you would say, well, no, no, I, I, I get it, I have some money, but I definitely don't serve it and I definitely don't love it. I just use it like everyone else. But what if that's the problem? What if that's exactly the problem? What if using money like everyone else uses money is to make money your master? Is to come under its power even if you never meant to? Because Jesus says there are two options. Use your money to serve others or end up serving money. So first, let's look at using money to serve others. And here we're going to focus on the parable that Jesus tells uh, to his disciples in uh, verses 1 to 9 of chapter 16. And let me start by saying this, I think, is the strangest parable in the entire Bible. <laughs> it's weird. It's really weird. You have, you have a dishonest manager, well, actually, you have a bad manager who squandered his master's wealth. He's going to get fired. He finds out he's getting fired. He cheats his master. The master says, hey, that was quite smart. And Jesus says, yeah, learn from him. The good news is that sometimes, not always, I grant, but sometimes Jesus tells us a parable and then just tells us what the parable is about, which is really nice of him, right? So uh, have a look with me at verse 9. If you've closed your Bibles, open up again. Verse 9, page 1050. Jesus says, you know, parable, parable, parable. I tell you, that's the flag. I tell you is what Jesus says when he's about to tell you the punchline. I tell you, 
Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Use money to serve others so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So with that in mind, what does Jesus want us to learn from this manager? What does the manager get right? I think there are two big things the manager gets right. Number one, he recognises his situation. When, when, he, when he finds out that he's going to get fired, he doesn't just stick his fingers in his ears and pretend isn't happening. He realises his time is short, his job's about to be gone, the money's about to be gone, and if he doesn't do anything, he's going to end up with nothing. He gets it right and he recognises the reality. And secondly... In the time he has left, he uses his money, or the money, to secure his future. Now, he does that in a dishonest way. What he does is he goes to the the people who owe his master money and say, you owed him a thousand, well, let's call it 500. And by doing that, he's he's making himself a hero. He's he's making himself new friends, because when he's fired, they're going to say, oh, that was the guy who cut 500 quid off my bill, what a hero, come in for dinner. Right, that's the plan. It's pretty smart. It's shrewd. It's wise. He sees the reality, he's going to get fired, and he uses the money entrusted to him really well in light of that reality. And that's what Jesus wants us to learn from, not the fact that he was a bad manager in the first place and then cheats his master. And think about it like this. Imagine you were training project managers. I'm, I'm not a trainer of project managers. Imagine you, you, you thought, well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to sit them down in front of Ocean's Eleven. Right, so for those of you who don't know, Ocean's Eleven is a film uh, where a team of expert criminals come together to rob a casino. There is a lot to learn about project management from Ocean's Eleven. It is beautifully pulled off. You can imagine the underlying spreadsheet is just everything's been ticked, all the kind of flowcharts work, it's spot on. The point is then not for the project managers to go out and rob a casino. Right? That's, what, that's what Jesus is doing here. He doesn't want us to be as dishonest as the manager, he wants us to be as shrewd as smart as the manager when it comes to using our money. And that means getting the same two things right. So number one, we've got to recognize that our time is short. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. There's a thought, right? Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Part of wisdom, the Bible says, is knowing that our days are numbered. We're going to die. And when we die, we can't take our money with us. So uh, just like uh, the, the milk in your fridge has a use-by date, so does the money in your bank account. You just don't know what it is. Doesn't mean it isn't one. Number one, recognize the time is short. Number two, use money wisely, shrewdly, in light of that reality. Use the money entrusted to us by God, to steward, to serve others, that we might be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, of course, we cannot use our money to earn our way into heaven, into eternal life. We'll be welcomed into eternity by God solely on the basis of the grace of God given to us in Jesus Christ. But Jesus does say that we can store up treasure in heaven. And here what he's showing us is that one of the forms that that treasure takes is a warm welcome. 
from those that we've used our money to serve. Um, I don't know if they're still running, but um, I remember watching the Champions League with my dad growing up on ITV, and so there's ad breaks. Um, and the MasterCard priceless ads ran all the time. I don't know if you, you, you remember them. Basically, you'd have, say, say, a father and son going to the football, and it's like on the screen it would have, you know, tickets, £100, train, £50, hot dogs, £20, time together, priceless. Right, and the tagline is, some things are priceless for everything else, there's MasterCard. But the, 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 what the ad gets right is that relationships are actually priceless. Right? The Beatles got there first, can't buy me love. Right? They're priceless. You can't buy friends. You can't buy love. It doesn't work like that. But Jesus is saying that we can use our money to invest in and build eternal relationships, eternal friendships. The astonishing consequence of that is that we can use our money to gain that which is priceless. We can use our money to gain that which is priceless. Um, how much would you spend on a takeaway for two? Depends, doesn't it? 20 quid, 30 quid, 40 quid? Whoa, getting expensive now. What about having somebody over from church for an evening, maybe from your small group, to get to know them, to build a relationship that by the grace of God might last into eternity? That's priceless. What about a new phone? A few hundred quid? How about somebody in your group or somebody you know at church loses their job and you help them out, maybe even help them pay their mortgage for a few months so that through you they might experience the sacrificial love of Christ? That's priceless. It really is. And when you start to think about things like that, suddenly um, giving to church doesn't become, isn't just a burden or an obligation or something you think you should do. It's just the smart move. It's just the wise thing to do. The question shifts from being, how much should I give to how can I give more? Because you're, you're giving to gain what is priceless. Imagine for a minute, imagine it's the new creation, right? Whatever that will be like. Imagine Jesus' return and you're in the new creation and you're welcomed by somebody. They come out to you and say, thank you. Thank you because when um, I was at my lowest point, someone from Inspire St. James knocked on my door and we prayed together. And they invited me to come to Life Skills. And I actually came to Life Skills and it was really helpful because I was really tight for money and it really equipped me. But more than that, it showed me that life was found actually in Jesus and I came to faith and that's why I'm here. And your giving made all that possible. Like, actually imagine that for a minute. That is priceless. And then a Kurdish woman who you've never met walks up to you and he says, you know, I, I want to welcome you here because... Your giving helped support your, that mission partner, Jerry Fowler, one of our mission partners, and he translated the Bible into Kurdish. And so I could read about Jesus in my language and meet him in the page of Scripture and come to faith. And I wanted to say thank you and welcome you. That's priceless. And beyond that, beyond all that, beyond being welcomed by friends you knew in this life and friends you didn't. Imagine being welcomed by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Imagine being welcomed and honoured by Jesus as one who has taken the money given to you to steward that was lent to you for this life. And Jesus says, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's priceless. And so with the small acts day by day, inviting someone around, lending someone money, giving to church each month. With those small acts, you are taking steps on the road to that destination. To that welcome into eternal dwellings. So use money to serve others, be welcomed into eternity with God. But what about if instead we serve money? What happens then? Well, Jesus shows us. Jesus shows us what happens if we serve money um, in the parable he tells to the money-loving, money-serving Pharisees in verses 19 to 31. So look down with me at verse 19 uh, on page 1050. Jesus says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. How does Jesus show us that this man doesn't, isn't just rich, but loves his riches? How does Jesus show us that this man isn't serving God, but serving money? He doesn't tell us about his heart motivations. He doesn't tell us where this man finds his true security. He reveals his actions. He tells us what he doesn't do. He walks past Lazarus every day and does nothing. We know that he does not love God because he does not love his neighbour. And then his time's up. Just like the steward's time was up, the rich man's time is up, except this time he's done nothing to prepare for it. And so verse 22, the rich man also died and was buried. Done. Over. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Jesus says the rich man is in torment, He is shut out from the kingdom of God, from God's presence. And we're told in verse 26 that a great chasm has been set in place. That there is no way back. And that his money is no help at all. That is the destination of those who do not use money to serve others, but serve money instead of God. But it's not just um, where this man ends up that should grieve us, that should fill us with horror. It's who he's become. It's what serving money has done to him. So before death, there he is walking past Lazarus every day as if he was nothing. Why? Lazarus has got nothing to offer him. Lazarus isn't useful to him. He's not going to do anything for him. So just walks on past him. Well, now he's in Hades. Lazarus is useful to him. 
Lazarus can do something for him. Verse 24, he asks Father Abraham, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. So, So now he sees Lazarus, but he still sees him in exactly the same way. What can he do for me? How can he help me? Because that is exactly how money trains us to see people. That is how serving money trains us to see other human beings made in the image of God, is to ask the question, what use are they to me? So money teaches us to use other people or to ignore other people, depending on whether they're useful or not. And money deafens us to the voice of God. The rich man asks um, Abraham to send Lazarus to his brothers to warn them so that they don't end up in the same place. But Abraham responds in verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. In other words, they have what we call the Old Testament. So did the rich man, that's enough. And it is. But money deafens you to the voice of God. Once money's got its claws in you, you do not want to hear God's command in the law of Moses to love your neighbour as yourself. Once money's got hold of you, you do not want to hear God's promise through his prophet Isaiah that it is when you feed the hungry and clothe the naked, then your light will shine forth. You start not wanting to hear it and then you can't hear it. And before you know it, you can't hear the voice of God calling you to repentance, even when it is God incarnate standing in front of your face. Even when he's raised from the dead. Because you've been deafened to the voice of God by the power of money. In Oscar Wilde's novel, um, The Picture of Dorian Gray, the big idea of the novel is that Dorian Gray is this beautiful young man and um, someone, his friend, Basil Hallward, paints a portrait of him and um, uh, Dorian is struck by this wild, or we might say wildian desire that um, instead of ageing himself, the portrait would age. And magically, that wish is granted. And for decades, um, Dorian lives this wild life of luxury and indulgence with not a wrinkle to show for it. But then the truth catches up with him and he reveals the portrait to to the artist, his friend Basil. Describing the portrait itself, Wilde writes, it was from within that the foulness and horror had come. Through some strange quickening of inner life, the leprosies of sin were slowly eating the thing away. The rotting of a corpse in a watery grave was not so fearful. Basil uh, is horrified at the the true state of his friend and calls him to pray. Pray, Dorian, pray. What was it that one was taught to say in one's boyhood? Lead us not into temptation. Forgive us our sins. Wash away our iniquities. Let us say that together. But instead, Wilde tells us, Dorian Gray turned slowly around and looked at him with tear-dimmed eyes. It's too late, Basil, he faltered. Those words mean nothing to me now. He's chosen to build his life on the magic of the picture, 
on the illusion that it offered him of eternal beauty. But all the time, his inner life was rotting away. And now it's too late. And Jesus says it's the same. It's the same for those who choose to build their lives on the magic of money. The illusion that we can have what we want and it will make us happy. That we can buy it all. Because all the time, money is in fact cutting us off from God and from other people. And our inner life is rotting away until one day it'll be too late. But it is not too late. It's not too late. This side of the grave is never too late for the mercy and grace of God. And so, if you are sitting here today, to be honest, as I'm standing here, and you think, I know that there are parts of my life where I can see that slope. I can feel that pull. And dare I say, there are places where you know, or I know, you've taken a couple of steps down down that way. Please turn around. Please repent. Turn to Christ for forgiveness. Ask Christ to make that repentance real. What will real repentance look like? It will look like using your money differently. It will not look like deciding that you're going to view your money differently. It will look like doing something different with it, giving it away, using it to serve others. That is what repentance will look like. And as you turn, as you repent, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That's the the mercy of God. Of course you will. Turn to him. Serve him. And you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. And he presents us with a choice. Use money to serve others or end up serving money. Be welcomed into eternal dwellings or be shut out of the kingdom of God forever. But in our own strength, we cannot break the power of money in our lives. In our own strength, we cannot serve God. We cannot serve others. We cannot walk with Jesus. At the start of chapter 17, Jesus turns to the disciples and basically starts laying out what it actually means to be a disciple. Warns them of the dangers of following in the footsteps of the Pharisees, calls them to a a God-like forgiveness, and they are overwhelmed. They know they can't do it. And so verse five, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. we must join with them in that cry, increase our faith. And that doesn't mean increase some warm, fuzzy feeling inside of us. That means increase our faith, increase our reliance, our trust, our dependence on you, Father. The author, Andy Crouch, helpfully identifies, I think, that money's most seductive promise is abundance without dependence. 
Money's most seductive promise, prom promise is abundance without dependence. You can have everything you want and you don't need other people anymore. That's what money does. And so how do we fight the power, the pull of money on our lives and on our hearts? We run humbly towards our dependence. We embrace our dependence. Embrace our dependence on God, the one who promises us abundance. Life to the full, now and forever, but abundance that comes through dependence. We embrace that dependence and we express that dependence. We live it out by using our money to serve others, by giving it away. Trusting that as we do so, we gain that which is priceless. That welcome into eternal dwellings where the joy will never end. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are in desperate need of your help. We know the power of money in our lives. We know the pull of its promise. And we know that it's lies. Then in truth, that is the road to darkness. So Father, we throw ourselves upon you in dependence. Please help us to serve you, to walk with you, to use our money to serve others, that we might be welcomed into eternal dwellings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.